Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs. 13 Star Designs is a unique vinyl and embroidery shop featuring seasonal designs, spooky gifts, and of course, their signature item, the world-famous dick mark. The first ever penis-shaped bookmark. They sell wreaths and blankets and towels and all sorts of cool and weird stuff. Even bookmarks shaped like bookmarks, if you can even imagine. Check them out at facebook.com slash 13 star designs and find something perfectly strange for that strangely perfect person in your life. That's facebook.com slash 13 all spelled out star designs. everybody i'm josh and i am Alyssa. and we are back with a brand new episode of the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault a read-along pod where we dig into the good the great and the problematic of the dresden files series by jim butcher i'm a long time dresden dresser and this is my first time through and together we dig in, we chop it up, and once in a while find some insight. True. This week, we have Dead Beat. Part, what is this, part four? Part four of Dead Beat. The seventh novel in the Dresden Files epoch. How you doing today, Liz? I'm hanging in there. Oh, back to reality, huh? No more paradise? Unfortunately. How was your trip? It was wonderful. It was really, really good. Very exciting. Lots of chickens. Lots of chickens? Mm -hmm. I met quite a few animals on my trip. Tragically, I didn't get to pet a chicken. I did try. (laughs) How? Why? (laughs) (laughs) There's chickens everywhere, and I just wanted to pet one. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't meet a, a cat, though. Why are there chickens everywhere? We're, we're, you I can't no just idea. breeze through something there's like that. There's chickens everywhere. Apparently on all the islands, there's chickens everywhere. I've only been to this one. But there are chickens everywhere. And um, we went on this one tour where the tour guide was saying that there are also a lot of feral cats. And people always ask, well, why don't the feral cats take care of all the chickens? And he said, it's because the cats are afraid of the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Which is spectacular. Now, apparently chickens are assholes. They, I mean, you know, they were all over the place. It was pretty great. That's awesome. It was pretty rad. We went on this rum tour, which was amazing. I do love me some rum. I've never been to the uh, 50th state. You have? It's, it's on the list. I could have sworn you had been. Mm-mm. Seems like everybody and their brother had. Guess yeah. not my brother. <laughs> Ayo. Uh, but it's it was cool quite cool awesome awesome <laughs> i was up in 
Seattle for the weekend. First cool. time in the Pacific Northwest of any import. Um, I've been to Victoria and Vancouver before. And I'd been to the Seattle airport. The city of Seattle, way cooler than SeaTac the airport. <laughs> I was shocked, personally. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, Drake, stop licking me. It's not a puppy adventure. All right. One. A pretty interesting chunk ahead of us today with um, the first appearance of one spicy lady. As well as a whole lot of uh, intrigue a lot. around necromancy and the Fae alike. So um, we got seven chapters today, so let's hop right in so we can chew through it and try to be <laughs> out of here in under four hours. Uh, you want to catch us up to where we're at in the universe? And I will shake on, uh, take on, <clears throat> and I will take on chapter uh, seven. Let's see. So we have necromancers. We have zombies. We have corpse takers and we have guys that might be good guys but aren't necessarily good guys in black cloaks um marconi made an appearance we've got him hanging around uh and butters has been Ooh, as did that uh mysterious e sound at the end of Marconi. Yeah, whatever i keep i go back and forth in your sentence it, it, it depends on the day <laughs> actually it depends on the moment because in the episodes i go back and forth but uh yeah he is uh definitely hmm? <clears throat> So wait, so I read a thing um, that explains it. It's supposed to be ah, like Al Capone. Okay, that which ob totally the obvious reference now. that we should have gotten totally <laughs> makes sense. Alrighty, so we have uh, everybody and their brother has come through. Harry, when we last saw our plucky hero, he had a Chinese throwing star thrown at the back of his leg by a ghoul. Vi Xiong. And I think I said that right. And uh, he is scooped out of the alleyway by Marcone, who is going to drop him at the, air, not the airport, the hospital. In exchange for a little bit of digging about a couple of EMTs that were at the Wacker Street address when his guy got shot. Yeah, that's about where we're at. All right. So Harry stumbles into the emergency room and. He's a big hit, because when you drag yourself inside panting and leaving a trail of bloody footprints behind you, it makes a certain impression. <laughs> they get him on a gurney in a couple seconds, but the nurse says, it isn't life-threatening. From the way you came in here, you'd think this almost killed you. Which, to which he says, well, kind of a wimp. But it's a wound on his leg. Of course it's not life-threatening. It could be. You know, it could have hit like, a main vessel. In the calf, a major artery there. It's not quite as wide as your femoral artery, but you do have major artery. It's not as your butt. It could still be. Yeah. It could still kill you, but it would take longer. It just strikes me as a this anti nurse garbage has to God. stop. Um, <laughs> the nurse is just kind of mean. The orderly's kind. It says nasty. They're gonna have to cut it out. We'll let the doctor decide that. How did this happen? I have no clue. It's <laughs> walking down the street, and all of a sudden, I thought my leg was on fire. Um, <laughs> you walked here. 
a helpful Boy Scout brought me most of the way. I love that. Which I just love because, you know, he's just being coy and not really, you know, telling the story or whatever. And hey, a helpful Boy Scout did but, bring him. <laughs> but exactly, the idea of Marcone being a helpful Boy Scout, because Marcone probably was a Boy Scout. <laughs> I don't know. I just think, I just, for some reason, I find that very yes, funny. Yes, no, I find it entertaining as well. She asks if he wants uh, some Tylenol. He says, I don't have a headache. I have a four-inch piece of steel in my leg. She gives him the Tylenol anyway. And he asks the orderly if uh, a couple of his buddies, the EMTs that Marcone had mentioned, were around and he could talk to them. Um those are the guys that responded to the call on Wacker Street where Marcone's man was mortally wounded, died, and came back to life, apparently. As he goes to look for him, you know, he had this paperwork to fill out. And just the one thing that I really like is how he mentions he doesn't have health insurance, but how much he, uh, he you know, he muses on if he does get health insurance, okay. how much the insurance company is going to lose on him in the long run? Because when he's 250 years old, you know what? What's the markup on uh, his insurance? Which I just found amusing. Again, like thinking about how the mundane world and the supernatural world intersect. You know, all those little thoughts. Of course, a uh, at this point a fetish of mine. I just sure. love those little things. A doctor comes in, cuts out the uh, what is it? Throwing star throwing star, I guess. Gets a couple of sutures, antibiotics, all that. So as he's waiting for his prescriptions and stuff, an EMT comes in, and it's Lamar. You know, Harry asks him what happened on Wacker Street, and he mentions that he can't really tell Harry what happened because he, you know, similar to when Butters got, uh, what's it called, he could put in an insane asylum? Committed. Yeah, when Butters is committed for saying that the bodies from the Velvet Room were human-like but not human. You know, similarly, Lamar doesn't want to mention anything supernatural and potentially lose his job. But he recognizes Harry from the Larry Fowler show, and he mentions that Harry was arrested in the nursery at Cook County a few years back during the events of okay. Grave Peril. We saw this. And Lamar said, you know, the year before... The SIDS rate there was the highest in the nation. They averaged one case every 10 days. No one could explain it. I didn't know that. Since they arrested you there, they haven't lost one. You did something. Yeah. <laughs> you like ghost stories? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like any of this crap, man. Why do you want me to tell you what I saw? Because what you know might help me keep more people from getting hurt. And so he tells them. They headed out there for a, a gunshot, and he was all busted up. Two two hits in the chest, two in the abdomen. This guy's dead, yeah. basically. And he died. But after a moment, this woman shows up. I don't know from where. We just looked up, and she was standing over us, looking down. What'd she look like? I don't know. She was like wearing this costume, right? Like those people at Renaissance fairs. Big old black robe with a hood over her head. I didn't see much of her face. Just her chin and her throat. She was white. What did you do? Figured she was a nut. You get a lot of them this time of year. <laughs> Which is fair. 
but she looks at him and tells him to back up. This is obviously Kumori, mm-hmm. who Harry had met later that evening. And she knelt over him. She straddled the stretcher, leaned down. Couldn't see what she, Lamar couldn't see what she was doing. And it got cold. I mean, ice started forming on the sidewalk and the stretcher and on a truck. I swear to you, it happened. I believe it. And the victim all of a sudden starts coughing, trying to scream. I mean, it wasn't like the wounds were gone, but I don't know how to describe it. He was holding on. He was in agony, and he was stable. It was like, like he wasn't being allowed to die. She stands up, tells us we got less than an hour to save him, and she's gone. Like, poof, gone. Like she was all in my imagination. That couldn't have happened. I mean, I've seen people pull through some bad stuff. Not like that. He should have been dead. Everything I know tells me so. But he kept going. Sometimes miracles happen, I said quietly. This wasn't a miracle. It wasn't an angel choir singing. My skin tried to crawl away and hide. I don't want to think about it. What about your partner? He drank himself under the table 20 minutes after our shift ended. Hell, only reason I wasn't with him was that I had to teach CPR class this morning. That help? It might. Thank you. <laughs> what are you going to do now, I asked. Go find my own table. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Harry, you know, asked the million dollar question here. Why would Kumori have expended her strength for a stranger rather than save it for battling rival necromancers? Could the shooting victim have been important to her plans in some way? It just didn't track. The victim was just one more thug for the outfit. And he certainly wasn't going to be doing anything useful from his bed in intensive care. Um, did you do? I had to consider the possibility that she'd been... That she'd been trying to do the right thing using her power to help someone in dire need. And that thought makes him uncomfortable because if Kumori is going around being a humanitarian instead of a frothing, psychotic monster, it makes her a person. And people are a hell of a lot harder for him to think about killing. Um, it also makes him question, again, his understanding of magic. I think that's a big theme. Most definitely. In this in this series, right? Where learning that he doesn't know anything about magic. Um, certainly knows more than well, you yeah. or I. But it's one of those things, well, more than me anyway. But it's one of those things where the more you learn about something, the less you know. Because um, you realize how wide of a universe is out there, right? We've talked about this before, but... The smartest people you know are the people who are convinced that they know the you know that, that there's more that they don't know than they could possibly know, um, and I think that is going to be a big theme as we go through this. Is, you know, growing into the big big trilogy at the end there, especially where the world is so much bigger and grayer than Harry has given it credit for in his youth, which is pretty standard life experience, but. Um, I think worth noting here, right? That like you can use ne- dark necromantic energy for mm-hmm. good, which, uh, you know, it, it certainly blows Harry's mind here. And 
it makes that line between black magic and white magic fuzzier. It also means it's the same kind of power. But remember, it's not. Like, we've seen that it's just, it feels It feels totally different, different, but it's the idea that just because magic, magic, is magic is magic. It's like the whole idea of him using Hellfire. The concept of Hellfire is bad. I mean, and he got it's, it from a fallen angel. Yeah, certainly doesn't lend itself no, to positivity. No, I definitely no. But it's sort of like, it's the idea of like, you know, use the force for good, not evil. And it's that kind of thing where maybe magic is just the two sides of the same coin. And his use of the hellfire isn't necessarily inherently bad. Mm-hmm. It's just using the using the magic. It's just power that you have. Yeah, your it's disposal. your type yeah. of power. Because dark power versus light power, it's just cold versus hot. It's not necessarily um it's not necessarily dark evil magic. Because if Kumari uses his magic to save someone, does that like that's yeah. sort of that is it a gray area or what? So there's a they kind of touched on this a little bit in Legends, but certainly um in Star Wars, the the idea of the the force, the light and dark, um, especially some of these Filoni projects are getting into more like the mysticism mm-hmm. around the force, which is interesting, and we may see some of that. But the idea that like Ashlaw is the light side and Bogan is the dark side, but like they're just different. They're not necessarily inherently good or evil. They kind of obviously lend themselves to that, but like you can you can lean into dark the dark side of the force, but still be doing yeah. good things. And I, I, I think that, you know, Palpatine is kind of a cackling monster, but like Vader, for instance, thinks he's doing the right thing, but it's just interesting. The idea of using darkness for positivity mm-hmm. you know, and the symbolism here of when he opened his eyes, thick clouds had covered the sun and painted the whole world in shades. Yeah. Of gray. It's just a great picture of, you know, exactly what's happening in his brain. Well, and, it, and it's, it's again, we're using that cinematic element to tell a story where he's using the, then where Butcher's using the environment to tell part of the story. Oh, that was the end. Okay, awesome. Sorry. So Harry picks up the Blue Beetle for Mike's and uh, he says, I tried to be wary of possible tales, but by then the local was wearing off and my leg was hurting again. I don't know if you've ever had a serious physical injury, but there's more to it than simply increasing the amount of discomfort. It's tiring. The pain carries with it a tax of a bone-deep weariness that makes you want to crawl into a dark hole and hibernate. So when I say I tried to be wary, what I mean is that I flicked a glance at my rearview mirror a couple times whenever, whenever I had the presence of mind to remember to do so. As long as the bad guys were restricting themselves to driving brightly painted side panel vans or maybe nitro-burning funny cars, I was safe. So he gets back to the house, and Mr. comes flying down the stairs at him, and does his little thump against his leg, and Mr. Mister winds around his legs in a, in a pleased fashion, unconcerned with my opinion of him. So spectacular. <laughs> so he greets Thomas, and Butters is knocked out. Oh, kitty. Uh, and Thomas has an interesting observation about Butters. He said, he's a coward. Don't take that wrong, Harry. He's smart enough to understand what's happening, and he's smart enough to know there's not a damned thing he can do about it. 
He knows the only reason he is alive that is that someone else is protecting him. He wasn't kidding himself that he's somehow done it because of his own cleverness or skill. He doesn't know how to deal with the fear. It's strangling him. Thank you for your professional opinion, Counselor. I've seen it before. I know what I'm talking about. When you were attacked in the morgue last night, he froze, didn't he? Not everyone is cut out for the battlefield. But he froze. You had to scream orders into his ear and haul him around like luggage, right? That doesn't make him a coward. He lets his fear control him. That's what a coward is, Harry. A lot of people would react the same way. A lot of people aren't making themselves into excess baggage for my brother. He shot back. No one does well their first time out. And he goes on to talk about how he had gotten out of the bin and got his job back after Bianca's manner. And he says he had to cave. Otherwise they cut him loose. And Harry said, you might be right, but if we tell him to rabbit, he's never be going to be. There are a lot of background noises. <laughs> you might be right. But if we tell him to Sorry. rabbit, he's never going to get a He's never going to be able to get over the fear. We'll be making it worse for him. He has to face it down. He doesn't want to. No, but he needs to. It's your show. And he, we see this interesting little interaction between Mouse and Mr. Mouse goes over to his big bowl. <laughs> and he sits down and, and looks over, wait, waiting for Mr. Mr. comes over, bops him in the jaw with his paw. The dog gets grins, gets up, walks a few steps away. And then Mr. eats a piece of the kibble. And once he's done, Mouse pads back over to the bowl and continues eating. And I actually have, I have a thought on this. So I'm going to go through this whole little part with Thomas. Thomas says, remember when Mouse would slide all the way to the wall when Mr. Okay. did that? Huh, yeah. Do you think Mr. realizes uh -huh. that the dog is about 20 times bigger than he used to be? Oh, he realizes it all right. He just doesn't see how it's relevant. One of these days, Mouse is going to disabuse him of the notion. He won't. Mr. made his point when Mouse was tiny. Mouse is sort of, it, Mouse is a sort to respect tradition. Or he's scared to cross the cat. This is their ritual. This is totally a ritual, and it, I don't think, I don't know if there's anything deeper in it, but I was thinking uh -huh. about, because this whole book is about ritual. And this is their ritual. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. He gets up and walks yeah, like, away. You can tell the part where, because Mr. Bops him on the nose, and when he, you know, he, yeah, he, but he walks a couple of steps in the direction like like he was shoved right? in that direction. That was my, you know, because um, that's that how it my, used to uh, be. Yeah, no, that's funny. Random, like, extraneous insight. Um, but I just kind of like it that even the animals in their lives have ritual. So he gives Thomas a rundown of everything that's going on. Uh, he asks him, "How are you as a sounding board? I can look interested and nod at appropriate moments. Good enough. I told Thomas everything." All Thomas took from it is, you have a date? Which is spectacular. <laughs> oh, 100%. Uh, and he goes, you know, I mean, oh, you no, never definitely. hit any clubs, you never try to get part. any phone numbers. Good God, you're shy. I'm not. The girl practically had to throw herself into your arms. My sister would laugh herself sick. You are not a, sp you are not a spectacularly helpful <laughs> sounding board. I'm so pretty, it's hard for me to think of myself as intelligent. There are two <laughs> things you need to know. The the book. Yeah. Everyone is hot and bothered about this Arrow King thing. You read it? Yeah? And? 
and nothing. It's a collection of essays about a particular figure, a fairy lore, who's called the Arrow King. So we learn he's one of the high she, he's, he's wild fae, and he's also a hunter spirit associated with primal violence. Uh, and he is one of the beings who can call up and lead the wild hunt, which is a gathering of some of the more predatory be- beings of fairy. They appear in the autumn and winter, usually along with the storms and rough weather. A gathering of black hounds, the size of horses with glowing red eyes, led by a hunter with the horns of a stag on a black horse. The Arrow King. Apparently there are several, several figures that can lead the hunt. And... Thomas says, it's true that you can avoid the hunt being hunted by joining them. I don't know. I've never heard of anyone who met the hunt and survived. Could be that they won't hunt what they think of as a predator. It wouldn't. Uh, and Thomas says, it's like sharks. It's all about body language. I wouldn't count on nonverbal cues to protect you from the hunt. Assuming you ever saw them. It appears on- maybe only once every five or six years and can show up almost anywhere in the world. Is it the hunt you think the Kemmerlites are interested in? I'm not sure. I can't think what else it could be. The Arakling has a reputation as being as a being that preys upon children, or at least one that heralds their deaths. A couple of wizards even peg him as a guardian who ensures that children's souls aren't harmed or diverted as they depart dying bodies. So the Arrow King has to do with bodies, death, primal energy. And Thomas asks, do you think it's connected to the Dark Harlow? The Dark Hollow that Corpse Digger was talking about. I don't know. What's a Dark Hollow? Thomas doesn't know either. And so they did, he, Thomas says, you might, you know, you might want to talk to the council about this. <laughs> and Harry says, I know I should. They're stronger than me. And Thomas says, sounds like a good reason to call for help. But Harry's concerned about Mavra going after Murphy. Thomas says, I don't think Murphy would want you to get killed over this. And what's going to happen if the council hears that you knew these folks were around and didn't report it to them? They aren't going to be happy. And he says, plus there's more than one reason not to call in the council. He's afraid that it would create a common enemy. And Thomas says that he is already the common enemy. And then Thomas has figured out that whoever trashed his car did it deliberately. They were trying to tell him something. Harry says, it might not even be related situation. Whoever was sending the message, it's a little obscure. You think it's one of the Kebler crowd. Why not? And so he rules out Gravain because he uses the undead, corpse taker, mind magic. And that leaves Cal, his buddy, and Gravain's buddy with the liver spots. Yeah, I almost feel like there was something familiar about liver spots. I'm not sure what. I might be grasping at straws. Harry says, you know, there's no use in chewing all over this. And, you know, it's Boney's Tony's numbers. There's something there. Thomas says, maybe it's a locker number. Too many numbers. Maybe it's a cipher, substituting letters for numbers. That's a thought. So he gives the paper to Thomas and says, hey, work on it. And he says, when you want to know about fairies, the best place to ask is a fairy. So he's going to go call his godmother, which is dangerous. And he says, you know, you need backup. Watch the fort, I said. Mouse, the big dog, lifted his shaggy head from the floor, ears perked forward, serious eyes on me. Come on, we're going for a ride. And then Thomas asks if he can get the poke of shit out of the apartment into the car. Please, Harry, I like the little guy, but come on. Thank you, he said, and collected the poke suit, brought it up the stairs behind me as I prepared to take a chance on a conversation with one of the more dangerous beings I knew. Accurate. 
I like that. Not lying where he's prepares to have a conversation with one of the most dangerous beings he knows. And it turns out the conversations with even more, more dangerous, dangerous. beings. <laughs> he wasn't wrong. So he heads north out of town, kind of drives up to a spot near the lake that's a little out of the way where he can call on his godmother, the Lanongshi. And so he does kind of a simple summons and mm-hmm. I like that paragraph where he says, you know, he waited. He could have repeated himself, but Godmother had certainly heard me. If she was going to come, she would. If she wasn't, no amount of repetition was likely to change your mind. Just something about that I enjoy. It gets a little bit darker, and he worries that she's not going to come. So he's about to up and leave, but before he can actually turn around, there's a swirling of the waters, a slow spiral of water spray, spun up from the surface of the lake. The spray rolled up and away from a female form, beginning at her feet, bare and pale, and rolling up over a medieval-style gown of emerald green. The gown was belted with a woven silver rope and a slightly curved, single-edged knife of some dark, glassy material hung at an angle through it. Chekhov's dagger. When the spray rolled up over the woman's face, I expected my godmother's blazing wealth of copper and scarlet curls. Instead, he sees the long, pale throat, features of a heart-stopping cold beauty. Canted eyes greener than any color to be found in the natural world. And long, silken hair of purest white. Mouse starts to growl behind him. With good reason. With good reason. Because as she says, greetings, mortal, he replies, greetings, Queen Mab. (laughs) I do beg your pardon. It was not my intention to disturb you. This is obviously the queen of the winter court of she, the queen of air and darkness. She is not a good person. She is really a bad guy, per se. Per se. Right. But she is one of the most feared beings of power you'd find short of archangels and ancient gods. We saw Vervain and Cowl and the Corpse Taker all show quite a bit more power than Harry. And he says Mab was not some paltry mortal like them. She was far older, far cruder, and far more deadly than they ever could be. And I owed her two favors. Oops. But she reassures him that, of course, she's not being disturbed. She's obliged to meet with him here because the summons was to Lananshi and she is currently fulfilling her duties. Alas, the Lananshi is tied up at the moment. And again, you know, we, we've seen the negative side of his protective instinct and his chivalry. I, I think this is it done yeah. right, right? He, he, imme- he immediately goes, gets defensive because she's in trouble, right? And it's his godmother. But he asks why but she... But she's also such a powerful, dangerous being, which is, it's interesting how he gets protective even in this situation. Yeah. But we we learn that she challenged Mab's authority. <laughs> and as she says that, one pale hand drifts to the hilt of a knife at her belt. Certain events had convinced your godmother that she was no longer bound by my word and will. What events? She is na- She is now learning otherwise. Well, that's the second time we've had our attention drawn to the weapon at her waist. Yeah. That's what we call a non-answer list. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> what have you done to her? She is bound. She is in some discomfort, but she is in no danger from my hand. Once she acknowledges who rules winter, she will be restored to her station. <laughs> I can ill afford the loss of so potent a vassal. I need to speak with her now. Of course. Yet, she languishes in the process of enlightenment. Thus, I am here to fulfill her obligation to teach and guide you. You locked her away somewhere, but you're keeping her promises? Promises must be kept. My vassal's oaths and bargains are binding upon me, so long as I restrain her from fulfilling them. So, Mab is willing to give Harry all that Lanonshi would in her place. Okay. Which, just an interesting kind of a exposition on how the world of the Fae works, right? We know that obligations and gifts and promises are all very sacred, but this is a higher, even beyond that, right? Because Mab has locked up Leah, all of Leah's obligations and responsibilities fall onto Mab, which is just interesting. So she asks her about the Earl King, and she tells him what she knows. You know, basically, a lot of it we already covered in the last chapter when they're talking about you know, the hunter spirits and stuff. But what we learn is that he stirs up shades and okay. spirits, which you know, specters most potent, as Mab refers to them. And that's the reason why everyone wants this book, because they want to be able to get his attention and have him jiggle up some spirits and shades up. around them. I think that's the technical term. Was. Sounds about right. Ha <laughs> ha. And he realizes somewhere in this book is the important part. Okay. So he asks which part of the book, and Mab smiles and says, Your godmother has no idea. But you do. I am the queen of air and darkness, wizard. There's little I do not. However, she won't tell him unless he agrees to become the Winter Knight, which we know was Lloyd's slate uh, last time we checked. And so he asks, you know, you already tired of your new guy? And Matt tells him, hey, she's keeping Lloyd's slate alive. Mayor. Though he very much wishes that he in the time to explain to him at length the error of his ways. <laughs> if you like, you might consider it an act of mercy. Accept my offer, and I will forgive your debt to me and answer all your questions freely. He reiterates that he is not interested in being the night, the winter night. Understandable. Mab's last night had been an abusive, psychotic, drug-addicted, murdering rapist. I was never clear on whether he got the job because of those qualities, <laughs> or whether they had been instilled in him on the job. And when he says no, she tells him he disappoints her, but she can wait. She can wait until the sun burns cold. She tells him that... Should Kemmler's heirs acquire the knowledge bound within the word, they will be in a position to gather up such power as the world has not seen in many thousands of years. Hey. So basically we learn what this right is. They're going to call up all these shades and spirits and devour them and take on their power. Kemmler himself was trying to do this right before the council struck him down. 
which explains why the word and Bob were in different places, I guess, in this conversation with someone online. And it's a little sus that the word was in this locker that Bonnie Tony found. Why wouldn't it be with Bob and Kemler? Just intriguing. I don't really have an answer for that, but it's just, I mean, it's, it makes for a convenient MacGuffin when it's around and someone has to find it. But it does lend some deeper questions. I guess we can get into kind of towards the tail end of this novel. But if one of them is able to complete this ritual, the heir would gain power such as has not been wielded by mortal hands in the memory of your race. And that is the Dark Hollow of which Corpse Taker was speaking. They're basically racing to make themselves into a junior league god. And he asks, can they do it without the word? And she says, if they could, why would they seek it so desperately? Beware, wizard. You are engaged in a most deadly game. I should be disappointed were I deprived of your service. Then get used to it. I'm never going to be your knight. She laughs at him and says, I have time. And you mortals find life to be very sweet. Two favors you yet owe me. And make no mistake, I will collect. And one day... You will kneel at my feet. And with that, she dips. Mouse comes over to him and snuffles and is looking warily out of the lake. He says, one, one problem at a time. We'll handle Mab later. Somehow. Hell yeah. They head back to the homestead. And as he's parking, a dozen or so people loom into view. <laughs> all walking towards him. Steady and unhurried, all of them marching in step with another, and in the distance we hear the low rumbling thunder of a drum played on a big bass stereo. Behind the first group came another, and behind them, another. This is a whole mess of zombies. Ruh ray. Oh, what do you call a group of zombies? That that I do not know. If there's a fun word for it. Maybe. A horde. A horde? I like clusterfuck. I mean, that sounds good. Um, herd. Shamble? Ooh, I like that. Shamble works. I'm gonna call it a shamble. There's a whole shamble of zombies. <laughs> he hustles down the steps on his hurt leg, fumbling with his keys, trying to take down the wards so his own security spells don't kill him. Mouse is snarling and barking. He yells, Thomas, open the door! Here's here's a noise, close, and he spins around. Mindless faces appeared at the top of the stairs leading down to the apartment door, and Gravain's killing machines leapt down straight at him. All right. So Mouse is going in zombie <laughs> killer mode, <laughs> as he does, and Harry Fisores. Mouse gets a zombie, but also zombie hurts Mouse. And he's trying to get into the house and yells for Thomas to open the door. Thomas gets the door open, tells him to get down, and there was a roar of thunder, and the leading zombie's head vanished into a spray of ugly, rotten gold. The remainder of the being thrashed for a second and then fell drunkenly to one side, collapsing into immobility. The only thing I could think of at this point was the smell, the potential for the smell. 
Thankfully, books don't have smell-o-vision. And so they get him inside. They lock the door. Harry uses his will to rearm the wards, and the apartment falls quiet. Butters is a little freaked out, understandably so. And Harry said, there's no way they're going to get in here. The words were hardly off my lips when there was a thunder crack of sound and a heavy thump that knocked scores of books off my bookshelves and sent us all staggering around the, staggering around like the cast of the original Star Trek. Butter screamed. The wards, Thomas sacked. Thomas snapped. No, I mean, come on, walking right into those wards is suicide. Can't commit suicide if you're already dead. So they're realizing that the wards are gonna go down. They're not there for continuous discharge. They're there for magic. And Butters is freaking out. Harry says the door's ready to steal. It'll take some time to get through it. We've got some, uh, come up with something. Thomas has the extra defenses. But the concern for the extra defenses is that those are meant to stop a magical assault, not physical entry. But they will also keep them in. So if Gravain burns down the building, they're all fucked, as are the people upstairs. So Harry sends Butters to go get Bob from under the rug. And they are trying to figure out what the plan is. The phone line is cut. We can't call for help. Right. The only thing we can do is smash our way out to the car. How do you want to do it? What do you think? Big old wall of fire could do it. Cover our left flank and keep the bad guys off of us. I'll take the right flank and shoot anything that moves. Fire magic. A sudden memory of my burnt hand flashed through my head so intensely that I felt actual physical pain in the nerve endings that had been destroyed. I thought about what I would need to do to manage the wall, Thomas had suggested, and if the mere thought. My stomach twisted in revulsion and worse without. For magic to work, you have to believe. You have to believe that you can and should perform whatever action you had in mind. Or you get Zippo. As my hand burned with phantom agony, I realized something I had not admitted, to, not even to myself. I wasn't sure I could use fire magic again. Ever. And if I tried it and failed, it would only make it more difficult to focus my will on it again in the future, each failure building a wall that could only grow difficult to breach. My belief in my powers might not ever recover. I wasn't ready. God, even to save lives that included my own, I wasn't sure that I would be able to call up fire again. I stood there helpless and angry and afraid and stupid and most of all, ashamed. I'm all but done, I said quietly. I've got to save whatever I have left to get Block Ravane if he throws power at us directly. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to do. He searched my expression for a second, frowning. Then he shrugged into his jacket, his face grim. He seized a saber in his scabbard and buckled it on with a worn leather belt. He settled it at his hip and picked up the shotgun again. Guess it's up to me, then. I nodded. I'm not sure how hard I'll be able to push. You handled Black Court vampires pretty well last year. I've been feeding on Justine every day. I had a lot to draw on. Now... Now I'm not sure. So here's the plan. We get to the beetle, we drive away. And then what? Where do we go after that? You don't see me nitpicking <laughs> your plans, do you? There was a sudden heavy thump against a sealed security, core, security door. It rattled in its frame. Bits of dust descended from my ceiling. And then another. And another. Gravain had thrown enough zombies at my wards to oh, wear them shit. out. 
Oh, goodness me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so. Gun, I said to Thomas as he handed me the shotgun. Right, here's how it works. We open the door. I sweep it clear enough to get Thomas clear with doors. Then Thomas goes in front. Butters, I'm going to hand you the shotgun. I don't like guns, Butters said. You don't have to like it, I said. You just have to carry it. With my leg hurt, I can't get up the stairs without using my staff. The steel door rattled again, the pace of blows against it increasing. Butters? Butters, you have got to take the gun that when I hand it to you and follow Thomas, all right? Yeah. Once we get up the stairs, Thomas runs interference while I start the car. Butters, you'll get in the back seat. Thomas gets in and we leave. Um, Gravain trashed my car so I couldn't get away. Remember, what if he's done the same thing to yours? Butters, if we stay here, we are going to die. But if they destroyed the car, we'll die. But we don't have a choice. Whether or not they've destroyed it, our only choice of chance of getting out of this alive is to get to the beetle and hope it runs. So Butters goes over to the, the corner and pukes. I hate this. I hate this. I want to go home. I want to wake up. Get it together, Butters. This isn't helping. Nothing I can do would help, Harry. Butters, you've got to calm down. Calm down! They're going to kill us! Just like Phil, they're going to kill us and we're going to die. You and me, Tom, are going to die. Harry picks up Butters by the shirt collar. Listen to me. We are not going to die. We're not? No. No. And do you know why? He shook his head. Because Thomas is too pretty to die. And I'm too stubborn to die. I hauled on, on the shirt even harder. And most of all, because tomorrow is Oktoberfest Butters and Polka will never die. He blinked. Polka will never die, I shouted at him. Say it. He swallowed. Polka will never die? Again. Polka will never die. Louder. Polka will never die! <laughs> You're going God to make it, I shouted. Right, Butters. Die! Butters screamed. I can't believe <laughs> I'm hearing this, Thomas muttered. Just then, <laughs> the window shatters over Butters' heads, and zombies pull him out. There was a terrified scream from outside. It ended. Oh, God, I whispered. Butters. There's a lot happening in that chapter. <laughs> I just love Thomas's commentary. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's so good. So Thomas still wants to book it. Harry says, no, we're not leaving him. Thomas said, he's probably dead already. If he is, it won't protect him from Gravain. I won't leave uh -uh. it. But they're really not going to win a fight. Harry can barely move. He uh -uh. can't run. So he yells out, Gravain. Good evening. My compliments to your contractor. That door is really quite sturdy. I like my privacy. Is the mortician alive? That's a somewhat fluid my experience. Oh, good old-fashioned necromantic humor. But he's not actually a mortician, by the way. They use the word mortician wrong. Yeah, they use a lot of words wrong, according to Butters. Which, again, I don't mind. Yeah. Harry, do Harry doesn't know everything. He should be wrong sometimes, right? I mentioned this before. Some of his gunplay terminology and Phrasing, I guess, is wrong throughout the series. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his confusion with coroner versus medical examiner versus mortician. Well, coroner medical um, examiner are pretty much the same. But I I like that Harry doesn't know everything. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, it's right? He's in the ballpark. But it's, you have gaps in your knowledge no matter who you are. 
He tells them that they found the information on the drive. Because Gravain doesn't want to share the word or the power of the Dark Hollow, he says he's going to have to silence both Harry and Butters. But Harry tells him that the corpse taker took the information from him this afternoon. And, which I love, Gravain has the same reaction to Harry tussling with corpse taker as corpse taker did react to Harry running into Gravain, saying, if that had happened, you would not be alive to speak of it. Um, they just have such a high opinion of themselves that if someone's close to their power mm-hmm. level, there's no way this puny wizard could have survived the encounter. Right. And all of them have the same exact reaction. And Harry's like, what can I say? I'm a fucking cocky. Right, you know? Exactly. Like, um, so Gravain tells him, if you are telling the truth, then it profits me nothing to allow you and the mortician to live. That's one way to look at it. But you can just as easily say it costs you nothing to do it either. So Harry offers the numbers for Butters. And he tries to kind of extract that information by beating up Butters. But he doesn't know them. He doesn't remember them. He wrote them down for Harry, but he doesn't have a memorized. And basically, Gravain forces Butters into a soul gaze, which is awful. And so we hear Butters screaming, trying to breathe, and just... And Harry says he, he wouldn't have known it was Butters' voice if you know, if he didn't know it was him right there. And... There's a new voice that we hear. Well, he doesn't know. You sure? And it was Liver Spots, who we don't know much about. We've only seen him briefly at the morgue. Harry threatens that, you know, if you kill Butters, you'll have to kill me. And of course, he's going to throw his death curse when he does. All the while, the zombies are still trying to break through the door. Which is a steel door, but they're folding it in as if as if it been wax paper. Yeah, these uh, dead guys have some some strength to them. They got some gusto, and again, Harry threatens that he'll take Gravain with him. And like, there's just no reason for him to kill Butters at this point. There's no reason for him to kill mm-hmm. Harry. Back away, and we'll give you the numbers. So, agreement is he takes all his zombies and goes back. We take liver spots and Butters in the car. Mutual truce till sunrise. We'll give him the numbers, and then, you know, after a block or two, kick him out of the car. Reasonable. Yeah, fair enough. And so they agree to this truce, and Gravain swears it by his power. I swear it by my power. And we learn a little bit about this as Harry says, and by my own power, I swear in return to abide by the terms of the agreement. So when you swear on your power, mm-hmm. basically you're, that's like your collateral. Basically, yeah. you're risking some some of your power in this agreement. And you can break it, and it won't necessarily delete all your power, but you lose some of it. And obviously that's a huge deal. But, you know, Harry goes on and says that he's never seen or heard of a wizard breaking an oath sworn by his own power. So they leave Butters on the steps with liver spots. Gravain backs away and they head out. Zombie scrap parts 
littered the top of the stairs, Ugh. the gravel parking the lot. Smell. The smell. The smell. The smell. That's all I can think about <laughs> is the smell. Oh, even before they were got exploded uh-huh. and burned by the wards. No, thank you. No, thank you. There were dozens of zombies left after blowing up at least a few dozen. Liver Spots is standing by the beetle. He was a good two or three inches under average height. His features seemed familiar. But he couldn't place... Which is the most annoying thing on the planet, by the way. Yeah. Uh, This interaction is interesting. He threatens liver spots that Thomas will shoot him if he tries anything funky. And when he draws even with him, he stops and stares at him. There's a puzzled frown on his face. He's looking at him from soles to scalp. And says, Harry says, what? Where is it? Why isn't it here? I've had a long day. Shut your mouth and get in the car. <laughs> For a second, he saw his eyes. At his words, they burned with a manic loathing and scorn. Limber spots wanted me dead. There was nothing rational or calm about it. He wanted to hurt me, and he wanted me to die. Oh. I needed no soul gaze, no magic, to recognize murderous hate when I saw it. That's good. That's a good skill to have, frankly. Yeah. I'm going to kill you. Perhaps not tonight, but soon. I'm going to see you die. You'll have to wait in line, Spots. <laughs> Mouse lets out a warning snarl, and Liver Spots is looking past Harry now, so he turns around. And Jesus Christ, we can't just have one massive, powerful bad guy at a time, <laughs> because this is Harry Dresden's life. Pretty much. There's a rising cloud of light, and it turns out they're ghosts. A sickly greenish glow a company of Civil War-era cavalry rushed towards them. One of the lead riders has a trumpet as they ride. As they do. A cavalry charge. And behind them, mounted on phantom horses that looked as if they'd been drowned, were Lishan and the corpse taker. As he rode, the ghoul was beating out a staccato military rhythm on a drum. I love the different ways we get the drumming. So far, we've seen Gravain with mm-hmm. the book on his thigh. We've seen, the obviously, the, the Cadillac bumping the, the tunes. And now we see Lishan with a little uh, tom-tom drum on his side. Litter Spots and Gravain think they're betrayed here. And Gravain says to kill them. Kill them all. And Litter Spots pulls out a pistol. What's interesting wow. here is he's broken the agreement. Yeah. We don't see any, but was this? Did he break the agreement by bringing these other guys in? How did he break the agreement? They have a truce until sunrise, and now he's ordering liver spots to. Oh, okay. 
not he's or, or to though I guess to kill Harry or to kill yeah to kill Harry he has an agreement with Harry but by his power but did he to kill Harry or to kill the course taker them all and he pulls a gun on and oh because it oh you're saying letter of the law yeah also Bravain has an agreement with Harry not liver spots that's true so yeah, I wonder that's a thing. if that's letter, letter of, of the law versus spirit of the law uh, Harry dives away as Liver Spots is shooting, and then as he's coming around the car, Thomas shoots through the windshield and hits Liver Spots with the gun and the glass. He lifts his staff and brings it down hard on his wrists with a brittle snapping sound, smashing his, uh, obviously breaking his wrist, and the gun flies out of his grasp. Liverspots throws himself on top of Harry now, trying to choke him out, slamming his head into the gravel, screaming, it's mine! Give it to me! It's mine! One of the zombies comes over. To, so again, if a zombie's coming over here, this is now Gravain breaking his troops. Coming over to punch Harry in the face, smashing his head. Uh, before he can, there's a flickering saber from one of the spectral cavalry that cuts the zombie's head off. Which is interesting. That a ghost sword Thomas. can cut a zombie's head off. Yeah. Interesting. Dribbling a line of sludgy black ice. No thank you. Thomas thank screamed you. down. He gets down. He <laughs> opens the door. <laughs> the driver's side door. Just over Harry's nose. Smashing liver spots in the face. Harry grabs him as he hops <laughs> in and pulls him into the car. He gets his head out of the way, but takes a slash across his temple, ear, and scalp from one of the riding Ouch. ghosts. It takes a couple of tries to get the, the car started. But as it Shocking. Does, says, Shocking that it takes a couple of tries. Hail yeah. the mighty beetle. And he shoots straight into a crowd of zombies, slamming into them and sending them flying. As he's pulling out, he sees Corpse Taker buried down on Gravain with a sword raised. Gravain blocks it with a chain. Which is some Street Fighter shit. <laughs> Just kind of absurd, yeah. Well, she's got a tolar. Harry plays chicken with some of the cavalry troops, beating at them. And right before he hits them, they jump over his car. Which is awesome. Just something cool looking. And he heads out mm -hmm. and blasts down the street. <laughs> Thomas has a shirt pressed to the cut on his head. Mouse is okay. Um, Butters is in the backseat, silent. Butters! Hey, on, man. Earth the Butters! Butters! There's a long pause, and he says in a very weak voice, Oh, God. We'll never die. <laughs> Damn right it won't. <laughs> Even Thomas agrees. True. Where are we going? <laughs> Um, I love it. He realizes that 
Liver's Fox did get the copy of the numbers that Harry had written out. So now the corpse taker and Gravain have the numbers. Okay. He, he makes sure that he's got Murphy's key in his pocket. And then they realize that it's dark. Too dark. Too dark. All the lights are out. Seemingly in the whole city. <laughs> and, you know, Thomas asks, why would they do that? They think one of them is going to become a god tomorrow. They're creating fear. Chaos. Helplessness. They're preparing the way. Thomas didn't say anything. None of us did. I can't speak for the others, but I was afraid. The Beatles' tires whispered over the streets as they drove through the cold, lightless murk that had fallen over Chicago like a few truck. Which is creepy. So they get to Murphy's house, which is, we get a little, we've, we've seen Murphy's house before. We know that it's, um, belonged to her grandmother and it's this cute little house. He pulls into the backyard, basically, basically, probably to hide the car, you know, type of thing. It was dark, real dark. He fumbles around in the cardboard box he keeps in the car next to a couple of holy water balloons, an old pair of socks and a heavy old potato. I found a crinkling plastic package. I tore it open, bent it. And we have a light, a glow stick. Yay. He lights a few candles and then um, found a pair of glass kerosene nuts, which is impressive that Marky has this stuff, but it's not really all that much of a surprise, I suppose. And they kind of get food and Butters looks like a mess. But Thomas encourages Harry to let Butters fix his leg because it's something he can do. And I think that's really observant of Thomas. Because um, that's one of the things you do, you know, give someone something, you know, a, a stressful situation that they don't know how to get out of. I think that's wonderful. A friend, Thomas says, a friend would let Butters deal with the problem that he's capable of handling. He said plenty of the other kind tonight. Butters comes out and Murphy has a uh, medical kit the size of a contractor's toolkit, which is about right. I mean, come on. And so uh, Butter says, you know, you, you, it's a mess. You pop the two center sutures. I'm going to have to replace him. And he doesn't have anesthetic, but he's got a little bit of local, a topical uh, that's not much stronger than the stuff you get for a toothache. And Butters asks if he started on the antibiotics. And Harriet said he, he doesn't. You should take them right away. I don't want to think about what might have gotten into your wound back at the apartment. I, I mean, my God. <laughs> Gross. That's the worst part about The Walking Dead. The stains. <laughs> <laughs> I was useless back there. Worse than useless. You could have been hurt. Thomas appeared in the doorway to the kitchen, pale and silent. He arched his brow, somehow managing to say, I told you so, without actually opening his mouth. <laughs> then they have a conversation about, you know, how he's never seen this before. Better's just never seen this before. Some people aren't cut out for it. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. You can do a lot that I can't. This stuff is hell. It's simple. I mean, the words get a bit long. But all in all, it isn't that complicated. Listen to yourself, Butters. You're sitting there with a straight face saying that medicine and medical forensics is simple except for the long words. Do you have any clue what it's like not to be intelligent as you? I'm not some kind of genius. Okay, well, technically I'm a genius like you, but that isn't the point. A lot of people do. The point is that I've spent most of my adult life doing this. That's why I can do it well. And the point is that I've spent most of my adult life doing zombies and ghosts and other things trying to kill me. That's why I can do it well. 
We've got different specialties. That's all. So don't beat yourself up for not being any better at my job. And he says he was afraid. I like that perspective. I do. T- I really do. I really do. And I like that that Harry has verbalized it like that. Uh, and he says it gets easier. What does living with the fear? It goes away? No. Never. Gets worse in some ways. But once you face it down, you learn to accommodate it, even work with it sometimes. I don't understand. Fear can't hurt you. It can't kill you. Well, technically, butters. Don't give me statistics on heart failure. Fear is a part of life. It's a warning mechanism. That's all. It tells you when there's danger around. Its job is to help you survive, not cripple you. I have empirical evidence to the contrary, he said, bitter humor in his voice. That's because you've never thought about it before. You've reacted to the fear, but you haven't ever faced it and put it in the right perspective. You have to make up your mind to overcome it. Just like that? Just make up my mind and poof, it's different? No, but it's the first step. After that, you find other steps to take. Think about it for a while. Maybe you'll never need it again, but at least you'll be ready if it happens. You mean it's over? For you? Gervain knows that you don't have anything he wants. He's got no reason to look for you. Hell, for that matter, I think you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time when he did. Anyone with access to the corpse and the ability to find the jump drive would have been good enough for Gervain. Your part in this is over. Oh, thank God. Sorry, I mean, it isn't that I don't like being around you, but I understand. I'm glad you're all right. Oh, thank God. Sorry, I mean, it isn't that I don't like being around you, but I understand. I'm glad you're all right. But I just wanted, there's a, I just, that conversation about fear, there's a, one of my favorite lines from A Song of Ice and Fire is one of the kids asks Ned Stark, he says, uh, can a man be brave even when he's afraid? And his response is, that's the only time he can be brave. Just that, well, that paragraph made me think of that line, but I, I mean, it's, it's, it's in the show as well. And it is, it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I really like that idea that like, Fear means something's dangerous, but like it doesn't mm. have to be crippling or damage. You know. No, I really like it too because that's the thing where you don't have fear unless something you are, you know. And that's I also like that it's you know it doesn't get any easier, but you deal with it. You just deal with it, which totally makes sense. Kind of like life. <laughs> it's very, it's pretty much dear God. And and then you know he he says thanks, butters. You're a good friend, and. So how come if I'm your friend, you don't tell me the important things? Like what? Well, that you know, you're gay. I blinked at him. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's the 21st century. You can look and it doesn't make you any less cool. Butters. And hey, look at the guy. I mean, I'm not gay and I think who could blame you? Choking sounds came from the kitchen. Oh, shut up. I snarled at Thomas. This is like, it's not the gay panic. It's the, what the, the, wait, huh? What? I think this is hilarious because it's, I mean, I like that that's the conclusion Butter came, Butters came to because he couldn't, they couldn't possibly be brothers. <laughs> um, it, it, it wasn't my place to intrude some later, some other time, maybe none of my business. <laughs> and Thomas brings out, brings some pizza and uh, beer and uh, Chase Thomas gives him some pills saying that they're the antibiotic. And, Harry passes out because of the, the, he gave him painkillers rather than antibiotics. Which Harry's had since the hospital, but has refused to take any because he wanted to be coherent and focused. Yeah. Um, And so Thomas hops him into one of the darkened bedrooms. 
And I vaguely remember stripping out of my shirt and shoes before pulling soft and heavy covers over me. There was blessed darkness, warmth and quiet. The last thing I thought before I dropped off to sleep was that the covers smelled faintly of soap and sunlight and strawberries. They smelled like Murphy. Rope of women smelling like strawberries? I've never met a woman. I don't know. The strawberry thing, I've never in my life smelled like strawberries. Though, when I was in junior high, there was this shampoo. Is like, I think it was. It might have been a VO5 that came in like fresh strawberries or herbal something. Essence? I don't know. It was pre-herbalescence. Herbalescence didn't come out until I was in high school. But no, but it was some, there was a strawberry scented shampoo. Maybe that's where it came from. I think a VO5 is having that really uh, chemically smell. Maybe, but no, there was a strawberry. It's like a, do- it's like a dollar each. Yeah, I know. But no, there was Go a strawberry it. shampoo when I was in school. I believe it. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. So we're doing seven chapters this week, and I wanted to end on this one. <laughs> mostly just to get your juices going. It's not a cliffhanger per se, but it is certainly interesting. It's a big, it's, it's like a watershed moment here. He has a dream. He says, in the odd dream, I had a hot tub. It's a perfect temperature, just short of scalding, warming his muscles and bones, washing away aches and pains. It was an odd dream, because I had never in my life been in a hot tub. He looks around and sees he's in a natural cave. Low reddish light comes from some kind of moss growing on the stalactites overhead. That was odd. Because I'd never been in a cave like this either. He, you know, he yells hello, and a woman steps into sight from behind a rock formation, a little taller than average, her hair in a sheet of golden silk to her shoulders, dressed in a silken tunic belted with a soft rope. She was, quite simply, a stunning creature. Hello. I thought it was time we had a talk, she said. You've had a hard day. I thought pleasant surroundings might suit you. He eyed her for a moment. Right. He's naked, but the bubbles saved him embarrassment. And he said, Who are you? Have you not reasoned it yourself by now? Lashio. Indeed. You can't be here. I sealed you in, into the floor under my lab. I imprisoned you. Indeed you did. What you see here is not my true self as such. Think of me as a reflection of the true Lashiel, who resides within your mind. As a... What? When you chose to touch the coin, you accepted this form of my awareness within you. I am an imprint. A copy. And you can talk to me? I can now. Now that you have chosen to employ what I have offered you. Hellfire. I used Hellfire today. So, as we suspected him choosing to use Hellfire, I mean, I didn't suspect, I knew it, but um, you suspected, certainly, that it was a big moment, and that's why. She, he's now accepting the gifts that Lachiel was offering. He says she doesn't look like a demon, and she offers to add wings, a harp, and a golden halo, because keep in mind that I was not always a resident of Hell. I relocated there. <laughs> um, so she refers to him as her host because she is his guest. And, you know, he tells her to get out, but that 
That isn't possible. By taking the coin, you invited me in. <laughs> and you know, he tries to wake up, but she says, maybe it's the painkillers. <laughs> Looks like we'll be spending a little time together. What do you want to make you an offer? The answer is no. We now return to my regularly scheduled dream. <laughs> and, you know, she says she saw that he'd never experienced a hot tub, so that's why she gave him the hot tub. Um, and we learn that she sees what he sees and feels what he feels. And she also learns what Harry learns and quite a bit more. You know, she has knowledge and memory of the 2,000-year-old um, years of life upon this world and infinite thousands outside of it. She can teach him secrets of the craft. She can show him sights that no human has ever seen. Basically, unlimited cosmic power. Living. <laughs> but living. Living space. Um, He says, by any chances, all this knowledge and power and good advice come for only three easy installments of 1995 plus shipping and handling. <laughs> or maybe it comes with a bonus set of knives, tough enough to saw through a nail, yet still cut tomatoes like this. You aren't nearly as funny as you think you are. <laughs> uh, you know, and he says that, you know, she, she, he, she's going to try to enslave him um, because he's seen into the host of Ursia. Remember, we saw Rasmussen um, in that soul mm -hmm. gaze was just a broken, insane thrall, basically, of Urciel, who she refers to as a mindless thug. She says she doesn't operate that way. Sure you don't. Your derision will not unmake the truth. Some of my kindred prefer domination in their relationship with mortars, with mortals. The wiser among us, though, Find a mutual partnership to be much more practical and beneficial for both parties. You saw something of how Nicodemus functions with Anduriel, did you not? No offense, but I would shove a sharpened length of rebar into one ear and out the other <laughs> if I thought I was going to turn into anything like Nicodemus. She says he's a monster, and, she's, and she says, Reasonable. Perhaps from your perspective, but you know very little of him and his goals. And that line is true to this day <laughs> and frustrating and <laughs> wonderful. He says, I know he did his damnedest, literally, to kill me and two of my friends. And God knows how many innocent people with that plague. And he did kill another friend. What's your point? Lushiel asked, genuinely confused. <laughs> I do like how the bad guys in this story are generally not, you know, mustache twirling. It's just like, no, no, I don't understand. Yeah. What? Wait, why is... What do you mean? I don't understand. Why is that bad? I'm going to make, make my goal here. What are you, what are you talking mm -hmm. about? <laughs> just, I just killed some people. Like, like people. So really what's the point? Like, people. what's your point? Tried? And, you know, she says she'll leave with him with a thought. As long as you leave. I understand your refusal to allow another to control your life. It's a poisonous repugnant notion to think of someone who would dictate your every move, impose upon you a code of behavior you could not accept, and refuse to allow you choice, expression, and the pursuit of your own heart's purpose. 
pretty much. Then believe me when I say, I know precisely how you feel. All of the fallen do. We have that in common, wizard. You've no reason to believe me. But consider for a moment the possibility that I'm sincere in my offer. I could do a great deal to help you, and you could continue to live your life on your own terms and in accordance with your own values. I could help you be ten times the force for good that you already are. With that power, I should have power too great and terrible, and over me, the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. <laughs> Gandalf to Frodo. But I'm not sure the metaphor is applicable. You needn't actually take up the coin if it did not suit you to do so. The aid I can offer you in this shadow form is far more limited than if you took up the coin. But it is not inconsiderable. Ring, coin, whatever. The physical object is only a symbol in any case. A symbol for power. I merely offer you the benefit of my knowledge and experience. Yes, power. <laughs> I like that response a lot. That's why I read through that because we know that mm -hmm. knowledge is power. We know that you, as you get more experience, you are more powerful. And him recognizing that and he's already got more power than he's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, which is, you know, that is the exact reason why he'd be capable of wielding it. Again, I've read like four books ever, so I reference them all the time. But there's a line in Hitchhiker's Guide talking about how the, mm -hmm. it's somewhere in that five book long trilogy um, of the Hitchhiker's Guide that. They're talking about the president of the galaxy. I think it's the galaxy. And how the people most interested in wielding power are the least the least suited, like least capable, capable. Of, of doing so, right? Anyone who wants to be president will make a shitty president. It's kind of the idea. Oh, mm -hmm. Lashio recognizes that. Oh, absolutely. Which right? is pretty I mean, accurate. You need to be altruistic at some point. Um but you can't do that and be in charge. And she basically tells him that you're going, you're going to need me at some point. And when you do, you're, you know. He says, he says, if I start leaning on you now, how long before I decide that I need more of your help? How long before I start digging up the concrete in my lab? Because I think I need your coin to survive. And if you do need it to survive, if it comes to that, I hope I die with a little bit of style because I'm not <laughs> going to sign on with down below. You know, he tells her he's not going to make a deal and that he wants her to leave. She says, get thee behind me. Which <laughs> mm -hmm. a biblical reference. Something like that. As you wish, my host, I request that you merely consider my offer. Should you wish to converse with me again, you have only to call my name. I won't. As it pleases you. Then she was gone, and the dream cavern was darker and lonelier for her absence. I relaxed and went back to my sleep and my solitary dreams. I was too tired to remember if any of them had a hot tub. Alright, so quick analysis. Uh, okay. Chapter 19... I, one of the 
Marcone Boy Scout thing. I like Marcone as a Boy Scout is an interesting kind of concept. We did kind of briefly discuss it, but he does. He's very like because boy isn't Boy Scouts always prepared? Isn't that the motto? Being prepared, yeah. Marcone is always that's prepared. funny. I like it. So I kind of uh, saw that. The other thing I was thinking was um, there's so many things that don't work the same with wizards, but apparently pain medication. Interesting. And he didn't blow up anything in the ER. I was really impressed. <laughs> you know, so the little things. So oh, that is actually really interesting. I like Lamar. I do too. Just for interaction. Nothing too spicy there. Pretty straightforward kind of investigatory thing. You know, we already touched on the, the black magic as. Pow- yeah, the power. As good, which is interesting. You know, the conversation about Butters with Thomas, he calls him a coward. And he does hold him up, but I, I don't really, again, when we got back to Murphy's and he's re-suturing his leg, like, you just got to put people in a position to be successful. Yeah. When you put Butters in a situation to use where he can be successful, he can be very helpful. So I like that as, you know, kind of not proving Thomas wrong necessarily, because Thomas was kind of proven right. Mm-hmm. But it showed that there's another side to that, right? He can be useful. But it also kind of gives Harry's perspective on... For sure. Friendship and how, quote-unquote, useful someone is. Because to Thomas, he's not useful because he's, you know, he's afraid. But in Harry's mind, he is useful because he's just useful in a different way. But, yeah, but even if he, even if he wasn't able to mm-hmm. suture him up, I don't really think that would change Harry's perspective. No, not at all. But I think he knew that he was able to but i really i really like that conversation too of reassuring him um i do too i really liked it too but it very much um it really just confirms who harry is mm-hmm. and that's you know not a surprise not a shock uh, any other thoughts on there I, I, not again not not really a whole lot happened I do love where he's like, oh, can you do Butters a favor and put this in the uh, car, the polka suit in the car? <laughs> Doesn't want him oompa-oompa-ing around the house. Conversation with Mab was very interesting. Yes, quite. What are your thoughts? It makes sense that she has more knowledge about the dark because she is, you know, winter and the darkness. Uh, <laughs> goodness. Um, the other thing I have written down is, so he, she is Leanne. She tied up. And languishes in the process of enlightenment. Does that basically mean she's waiting for her to come around to realize charge? Basically, yes. Okay, that's what you got from that. Okay, that's what I got. Just want to make sure. The other thing is, so when he asks uh, if they need the word to do the Dark Hollow shit, Mab doesn't say no. She says, when he, do they, can they do it without the word? She doesn't say no. She says, if they could, why would they seek it so desperately? And one of the things we've learned about our fairy brethren is that they don't have to, they have to speak the truth, but they don't have to say it blatantly. I feel like this is, I would say, I would say, I would say rather they can't speak untruths. There we go. They cannot speak lies. But if they could, why would they seek it so desperately? Is not a truth or a lie. It is merely a question. That definitely is an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. And and really every it time feels like there's more to a fairy it. opens their mouth, except maybe Toot Toot. I love Toot Toot. I think we're... You just assume it's I a lie? I think we're meant to... Well, no, we know it's for a fact it's not a lie. 
But definitely you want to... It's an incomplete truth. Exactly. You have to assume always that there's something else going on there. Mm -hmm. Anything else of note or your thoughts on the Lananchi and... Um, no, that was, those were the biggest things. Also, though, I was thinking as he's describing Mab, that would be a great Halloween costume. No one would get it, but it would look really cool. But you could just still just be a winter fairy. Well, you have gingerish hair sometimes. You could do Leah. I could. Green cat eye or amber cat eyes. Girl. I love it. Um, for a third time, I'll draw you to Mab's waist. Yeah, the, the knife. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the zombie fight, kind of cool. We've heard so much about Harry's explosive wards. It's cool to see him in action. Mm-hmm. It's especially cool to see them fail, or they they don't they do what they're supposed to do, but it fails to protect the home. The home, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always just like he he got outsmarted basically, which is just kind of a fun way to beat the defenses, right? Because it's usually you know you think of the lumbering, the bad guy just like outpowering Harry here, but he gets outsmarted. Uh, you know, Gravain knows that his wards are not going to... He, just, he has dispensable corpses to throw at it, right? Which is just kind of fun. <laughs> Poco will never die is definitely a very so common refrain of Dresden fans. That was spectacular. Beyond that, any uh, anything else there? I love the visual of the cavalry coming. That was cool. I mean, it just was a neat kind of uh, vibe. Oh, yeah. Also, a cavalry charge into a ghost cavalry charge into an army of zombies. Yeah, it's just kind of ridiculous. And like, I mean, damn. Sen- but the fact that, that the never... ghostly blade, the ghostly blade, uh huh, can cut off the head of a zombie and make the side of a vampire's head bleed. Just an interesting. Oh, observation observation i know that's not the spanish word for observation <laughs> as they say south of the border um, <laughs> definitely cool cool from a lore standpoint cool from a cinematic standpoint definitely something that very would be a billion dollars to film and what that scene alone is one of the reasons why people or this novel has a couple scenes where yeah people say it really you can't do it besides being animated but the way I was thinking about that, the ghost, yeah. was Haunted Mansion. How they do it is a reflection. No, not the movie, the ride. So in the Haunted, in the haunted Mansion, when you're riding along, the, you're in your little doom, doom buggy, and you get to the ballroom, and in front of you is a physical scene. And then you, they, you see these ghosts. But the way they do that is it's based off of a reflection. Because there are actual animatronic characters dressed in like grays and stuff behind a glass wall, and it's reflecting into the room. That's how they do it. And that was the thought, that was my mental image of the cavalry was that bluish gray, the reflection from Haunted Mansion. Okay. My brain is very, very, very complicated. I know this. I'm very well aware of it. I dig, I dig. Uh yeah, I haven't been to Disneyland since I was 14 years old, so I don't really know what you're talking about. Okay. I don't really wow. know what you're talking about, but I believe you. You too, bet. <laughs> I definitely believe you. Any thoughts on spots? I'm trying to figure out who the fuck he is. Okay. Like, I'm like, 
So what I, what did I write down? Is he a member of the council? That was where my brain went instantly when he's like, I recognize him, recognize him, but I don't need him. A couple books ago while he's at the big council meeting, did he? Is he a turncoat? <laughs> is he super bad? That's where my brain went with, with okay. liver spots. You know, I, I mean, think, think of his, <laughs> his, there are a few. He wants Harry to die. He he's, wants him to die. He understands the wizard shit. Just saying. He does. He doesn't seem to have any power that we've seen, at least. And yeah, he does ask him some interesting questions as well. Yeah. He might be the brains of the operation. Doesn't sound like Ravain to share. Not at all, but he might have knowledge that Ravain does not have. Because remember, knowledge is power. It is. It really is. Also, the way Thomas wields that shotgun is really, really amazing. <laughs> Most of what Thomas does is, I know, is just, just so great. Cool. Thomas he's is just, just cool. great. He's too pretty to die, but he's I just cool. I love that. Too pretty to die, too stubborn to die, and Poka never dies. I can appreciate all, all of that. Uh, absolutely. Everything with Butters at Murphy's house is good. Mm-hmm. Obviously the gay stuff. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this doesn't seem gay panicky. No. I, I, like, I thought, thought the first chapter was more so. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one is more Harry's just exasperated. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was, and it like, was just funny because Butters was like, no, no, it's cool. But why didn't you tell me? And then when Thomas gives him a kiss on the forehead. Oh my God. So I love that Thomas is just a brat. Like Thomas just, I have several friends that Thomas reminds me of. And it just is like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) You know, we all need a Thomas in our life. We really do. Um, Wait, does that make me butters? (laughs) You're butters. There's, there's no question about it taller than butters (laughs) and then that last chapter was a good one we we met someone very near and dear to harry's brain yeah i mean certainly the first appearance of lashiel and she seemed pretty convincing to me at least i'd say i'd say i'd go dig up that coin right now (laughs) there's a reason why i'm not in charge of anything (laughs) but um certainly intriguing yeah obviously you know, when you're dealing with fallen angels. But it's also interesting timing. How so? Where she appears when he needs power. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's for the same reason that he used the Hellfire in the first place, right? Like, yeah, he, he needed power. He knew he had it at his disposal and he used it. Yeah. For the By same choice reason. this time. <laughs> but that's is what, you know, that's how presumably she weasels her way in. Yeah finding those moments where he really does need her. And she even said that, right? Like if it's life or death, you're going to need to reach out for that coin. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He'd like to think he's going to let himself die, but the situation realistically, anytime Harry's going to die, other people are going to die. I fully believe he would let himself die. Yes. hundred percent for any reason to save other people. hundred percent. But if his dying is going to cost other people, their lives, I don't see him being so high and mighty. Yeah. No, that makes sense. We saw him put on the wolf belt. You know, we've seen him use magic to kill. Mm-hmm. And he's, but he is, while he's not completely selfless, he has selfless moments and he does care more 
the well-being of the people around him. It feels almost like he feels like he doesn't deserve to be alive in some ways, you know? I mean, she's obviously compelling. She recognizes that he's going to have moments where he's going to need help and she's willing to offer that help. So we'll see how that progresses as we get through this. Any other thoughts there? No, I don't. No, no, I don't really have any other thoughts. I do like the. <laughs> yeah, just a different level of protected life that he's ex- he's lived. Protected, sheltered. Not, I mean, it was more protected. I think it's more protected. I think that's a good, a better word for it because he's not really sheltered. He's seen some things, but he's protected from like normalcy almost. Yeah, it's just one of those like. It is a luxury, right? Hot tub's definitionally a luxury. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I can see it being more common in our world because we live where there's, people have pools and shit like that. And people's apartment complexes have hot tubs and, you know, just being in California sort of thing. Yikes. All right. So, um, anything in the yikes front? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, the uh, he blamed it on the wind, but at one point with Mab, he's like, it drew attention to her breasts. Like, what? Yeah. Mean, Harry. Like, But but the thing is, is that she's she's Faye, and Faye used their bodies to, in, to tempt and enchant. Sure, enchant I just thought that was ridiculous. So the way it totally made sense. Like, the wind, but you couldn't help but draw attention to her. It's like, no, Harry, you just like titties. <laughs> <laughs> I digress again. Not that I don't think it, any real real yikes here. Mm-hmm. And then that brings us to quotes, I guess. Yes. What do you got? I have a few. <laughs> From the way you came in here, you'd think he, this almost killed you. Well, I said kind of a wimp. And when Harry gives Thomas the paper with the numbers <laughs> on it to try to figure it out. He accepted the paper. Now I feel like James Bond. Suave and intelligent. <laughs> breaking all the codes while looking fabulous. Uh, and then, that's the worst part about The Walking Dead, I said. The stains. <laughs> I did like that. And the last, the last one Check you read, but I still wings, love it. Yeah. Keep in mind, please, that I was not always a resident of hell. I relocated there. I enjoyed that. Last year, I was like, she's got a little sass to it. Yeah, that was so great. She does. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. Where Lamar says his partner drank himself under the table 20 minutes after our shift ended, but he had stuff to do. And then Harry asks, what are you going to do now? Going to go find my own table. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. Is the mortician alive? That's a somewhat fluid term, (laughs) my experience, Gravain said. (laughs) Oh, the necromancer humor in this is just so good. It's pretty great. (laughs) And then... Harry tells Spots, liver Spots, it works like this. Thomas, you get in the back. Spots, you're riding shotgun. And when I say riding shotgun, I mean that Thomas is going to shove it up your ass and pull the trigger if you're trying to be funny. <laughs> that is a good one. That is a good one. <laughs> you're riding shotgun. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, that's all I got. That leaves us with... Lizzie's Crackpot Theory of the Week. What do you got? It's about Harry. Okay. Um, I, you know, I've said a million times that there's more to Harry. And now I feel like I was thinking about this as I was walking and listening to the book. 
So his godmother is a very strong fairy. So his mother has some fairy in her, is my guess. That I've already discussed that. I've already made that up. That's already canon in my head. It's my guess that she had to ha- be part fairy if his godmother is fae. Right? Because I mean, like, the one person that you trust in the world to take care of your child if is who your godparent, you choose to be the godparent of your child. And she picks a strong fairy. So she's got strong connections there to the, to the fae. Okay, so I think he's got some fae. I don't know. What, I don't know okay, if he's okay. in a more. Because, you know, obviously he's only part fae. But I, I'm going along with that. He may be more, I don't know, more immortal than we believed before. And I just feel like the way things, the things he survives from, the things he is able to deal with, I think he might be an immortal. He might be part fae. And it adds to his immortality. Because I keep saying he's more than he's more than human. He's more than immortal. And I think he is. I think, I think this, this is where my brain goes. I was going along the godmother ass. I think it's it's definitely um he's got some some fey blood and and that also means Thomas is part fey. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Thomas yeah. is getting dragged into my crackpot theories now. <laughs> Absolutely. I dig. The issue with Mab is um I I feel like it was just like an attempted coup sort of situation. Okay. When Harry defeated who he needed to defeat in the sky city sky battle whatever and all of that stuff that she kind of tried to step in and sort of like be like hey maybe i'm just as important and she wanted to be one of the queens but she isn't that's about all i got with that one okay good stuff good stuff well that that brings us to the end here we appreciate you yeah you guys listening in. I appreciate all the downloads and the clicks and things and the uh, fair few of y'all who hopped on and, and signed up for the Patreon. You are, it's five bucks a month just to get some early access. And um, if that's something you want to do, awesome. If that's not something you want to do, still awesome. <laughs> <laughs> download us, download on Sundays and listen. Yeah. Away, right. We appreciate y'all. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And we're uh, looking forward to seeing y'all next week. So uh, we're going to do uh, six chapters on the way out, out the door here. So since we picked up the extra chapter this week, everything's going to be six chapters again. So we'll see you for 26 through what is that? 31. 31 next week as we build into the climax. And I can't wait to see it all. Uh, we'll see what happened between corpse taker and Gravain. We'll figure out if Cal and Kumori are good guys, bad guys, or something in between track down Mavra eventually, and hopefully find the word. And all that good stuff. So probably not all that in the next six chapters, but we're, we're God, I hope not. That'd be a lot. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. <laughs> That's about where we're at. So, what was that?
There's oh. a burp that I cut my mouth shut for, and it just made it really All right. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm drinking soda, and it makes me really gross. <laughs> Usually I'm better about just holding them in and moving away from the microphone. Well, there's our Easter egg for the week. <laughs> It was like a weird sound that I thought was like, again. It was like a creaking almost. All right. Well. Oh, I needed that (laughs) laugh, Joshy. Oh, my gosh. Also, I almost took 11. I took about 1,100 pictures on my my DSLR, not including the ones on my phone. (laughs) I'll have to post some. Did you get any of chickens? I have plenty of chickens. Oh, good. 